Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Well, like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. I tell people all the time that doing this show probably helps me out more so than it does the audience. You know, some days I get out of bed and, you know, I'm kind of giving myself the the pity party about life because it's not going my way and I want to sit in the corner and, you know, cry and mope. But talking with guests like the one I have today allows me to say, you know, if she overcame all of that, what do I have to pout about? Today I'm talking with Yolanda Tucker, who delivers a high-energy message which tells individuals how to overcome adversity and inspires them to achieve their dreams. Yolanda has lived this message in so many ways. In spite of dropping out of junior high school, Yolanda holds an MBA in business administration and a second degree in acquisition and contracts. Yolanda is also an award-winning author, motivational speaker, and a business consultant. Yolanda is here today to share her powerful story, and I thank her in advance so, so much for being here. Yolanda, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Hi, Lana. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for being here. Like I, I tell everybody and I say it all the time and I will never, ever stop saying it. Time is something we can't get back. That's the biggest gift you can give somebody. So I thank you for making time for me today. We're going to have a good time. Awesome. I'm excited to have a great time with you today. <laughs> so, um, Yolanda, where, where are you at right now? Where am I speaking to you from? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. I get down there to speak from time to time. I'll have to stop by and, and say hello the next time I'm that way. I was going to say, please do it. The next time I'm in Island in L.A. area, I'm going to definitely reach out to you and see if we can do lunch or something. Awesome, awesome. So is Jacksonville where you were born and raised? No, um, I'm originally from about uh, 100 miles from Jacksonville in a small town called Waycross, Georgia. That's my, oh. my birth home. Okay, so Georgia's where you're from. Okay, so um, as I kind of like mentioned, uh, alluded to earlier in the intro there, uh, childhood was um, a little difficult for Yolanda, to say the least. Um, I guess kind of give us some sort of glimpse, uh, you know, what, how, what childhood was like, you know, was mom and dad there, or, you know, what was going on when you were young? Well, my grandparents um, adopted me and brought me home from the hospital, so my first eight years of childhood was absolutely great. I mean, I didn't know I was poor. I had never been hungry. Um, you know, just absolutely great. And then my grandmother passed when I was eight years old, and my birth mother came back to live with me and my grandfather. Um, my grandfather, you know, had worked um, on a job 30 years, owned his own small business, but he could not read and write. And so okay. my grandmother took care of all of, you know, the household bills and, you know, all of the household. So. Um, you know, I was too young to do that, and so my, my birth mother came home to help with that. And um, it, it's kind of like the Cinderella story, except oh. mine, was, mine was flip-flop. Uh, mine, you know, great beginning, really rough um, ending. <laughs> and so when she came home, you know, I was I, at that point began to be verbally abused initially, then um, physically abused. Uh, I moved here to Jacksonville when I was 12, and so my grandfather at that time, he went to Valdosta because Jacksonville was too big of a city for him. He was, you know, a much older man mm-hmm. at that point. And, um, you know, then uh, the crack, crack cocaine was introduced into my mother's life, and so, you know, our lives changed to where we had, you know, no, just the necessities. We didn't have clean clothes, you know, um, no food, water, you know, electricity. Many times we were being evicted. 
Um, so there were so many times I remember, you know, coming home and our stuff being out, you know, and, and different people just coming and picking what they wanted and, and going off with it. Mama, um, now you're saying me real quick. Uh, I mean, we real quick. I want you have brothers or sisters. Were there more of you guys? I have two brothers. I have um, a, one brother that's three years younger than me and one that's four years younger than me. Okay. And so now when I live with my grandparents, it was just me. They live with my birth mother. But um, when she came back, of course, you know, we were all reunited at that time. Now, may I ask, you said you were adopted by your grandparents right from the hospital when you left. Was there a reason for that? I, I, I'm sure there was, but I don't know what the reason is. Okay, okay, okay. So 12, year old, 12 years old, you go back with mom, and, and life is, is really topsy-turvy. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading your bio, and it says that you were pregnant twice before the age of 15. So somewhere in between this 12 and 15 time period, you know, all of this happened. How does, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm thinking of this because, you know, I'm a mother myself. My daughter's 21, and I'm, I'm just imagining where I would have to be, what would be going on in her life for circumstances like that to happen, transpire. So what was going on with you that, that these circumstances came into your life? Well, my birth mother was in and out of jail. Um, you like to say she was on crack cocaine really bad. And I, I, you know, I was looking for love. I wanted to be loved. And so I was, um, very promiscuous during those years and, you know, kind of just out there. Um, was pregnant, got pregnant the first time, uh, at, I was, I don't know, early on, you know, several months into being 15. Pregnant, um, pregnant from a married man. You know, of course he was an older guy. Um, I ended up miscarrying that child, and, and it was an intentional miscarriage. I did everything that I could to miscarry that child. Okay. And um, then a few months later, I met another guy, and he was uh, a small-time drug dealer, you know, had nothing at all going for him. But, again, I was looking for love and um, got involved in a relationship with him. Come to find out later on, on his end, it was a bet. Him and some of the neighborhood guys might I, and let me go back a little bit. I was at my aunt's house at this point. I had miscarried the first child, and once I miscarried, I didn't have a way to get um, from the hospital to my mother's, my birth mother's house. So mm-hmm. I walked to my aunt's house, and so you know, I'm, she was the closest person to the hospital that I was at. So I get there, and you know, a couple of days I'm in the house, and then she she was on crack cocaine as well, and so she asked me to walk across the street with her so she could you know procure some crack cocaine, and so that's mm-hmm. where I met my son's father. And um, like I say, come to find out a little later on, it was a neighborhood that, you know, the guys had seen me. I, I guess I was new meat in the neighborhood. And <laughs> yeah, okay. Me, you know, and they were betting on who, who was going to get to me first. And so he, he happened to be the one that got to me first. And, um, you know, just a few months later, here I am, 15, pregnant yet again. And mm. I remember when, when the doctor, you know, came and emerged, I went to the ER because I thought I had the flu. <laughs> I played basketball at the time. I was telling my basketball coach, I was like, I have the flu. She was like, girl, that's the longest flu I ever. <laughs> I think you're pregnant. So I go to the, doctor, go to the ER and they're like, yeah, you're pregnant. I was like, no, it can't be. I was just pregnant. So maybe, you know, the test is reading that. And, and you know, so then, I, you know, after arguing with the doctor several times to come back, you know, he's like, okay, we're going to do a blood test. And then he's like, you are pregnant and you have to, <laughs> you just have to face this reality. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, mom, mom is, is out there doing her own. She's fighting her own demons. Your aunt is fighting her own demons. You're 15 years old. You find out you're pregnant. I mean, does, does mom say, okay, you know, congratulations or what? I mean, 
Where's is there any kind of support system around at that time? No, no, there's no support system around at that time. Um, shortly thereafter, I don't know. I was a few months pregnant, um, probably between three and four months pregnant. Um, birth mom calls uh, Department of Children and Families and tells them she doesn't want her children anymore to come get us. So, oh you know, we at one, you know, came off from school one day and one, were bombarded by um, social services, you know, to remove us from the home. And hmm. so my son, my son's father at the time, you know, he says, I take them to my aunt's house. My aunt will take them. And so we go, never met this lady. You know, we go to um, what we call now Auntie Reese. So we go to Auntie Reese's house um, and she takes us in, you know, sight unseen. This lady never seen me a day before in her life, but she took me and my brothers in. Okay. And we lived there for, um, I, I would say maybe a month and a half. And then my birth mother ended up going to court. And she had my brothers removed and sent to my my one of my uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an issue for me because that uncle had tried to molest me. Um, on on he he told me some stories of when I was younger. So I think he was molesting me when I was younger, and you know I wasn't even old enough to even know what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one time prior to all of that happening, my mother had went to went to jail. And he came down and got us and took me and my two brothers back to Georgia for a brief period of time. And he ended up, one day I told him I needed to go to the store to get some things, you know, girly things from the store. And he ended up taking me to the cemetery, telling me that I needed, I had to sit on his face or he would take me back to Jacksonville. So, and I would, I told him I would not do that. And so he in turn um, brought me and my brothers back. He didn't bring us all the way to Jacksonville, though. There's a small town. That's probably about 60 miles from here, 30, well, maybe 40 or 50 miles from here called Callahan, Florida. And he left us. I was 13 at the time. My brother was, uh, one was nine and one was eight. He left us on the side of the road uh, there in Callahan, Florida. So my aunt that lived here, that was also on crack. She ended up uh, getting away because she didn't have a car at the time. She ended up finding a ride and coming to get us. So, of course, when the Department of Children and Families said they were going to send my brothers back to to that uncle, you know, I was definitely alarmed and um, did not want that to happen. But I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any power at that time to keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. That um, so, is a lot of chaos for such a young little girl. It is. It is. Um but they, they ended up going back. That didn't, um, you know, my, my uncle abused them. It wasn't sexual abuse, but physical abuse them um, really bad. And one brother ended up running away. And the other, um, after he was abused, he went back to school and told that he was being abused. And so one, a teacher kept him until the end of the school year. And then she brought him to me um, all the time thinking that I was an older sister, in which I am. But she thought I was old. You know, she thought I was grown. Yeah. And I wasn't, but by that time, um, I had been emancipated. So I was emancipated, um, when I was 16 and, and got in my own apartment. So, um, when the first brother came back, I was still living with Auntie Reed, you know, in that family. But shortly thereafter, I was able to get into my own apartment. And then I, get, then I got both my brothers and gained custody of them, um, and raised them while, you know, had my son and, and raised him. And, um, my, Middle, my, my brother is right under me. I put him through college and, um, put my son, he's, he's a college graduate as well. And then the younger brother, he just would not do right. And he's been in out of prison, um, since he was 15. So, you know. Okay. 
We try, we try. Some we get and some, you know, we just hopefully they find their way. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grasp this whole story, Yolanda, so bear with me here. So 16 years old, you are a mother to your own child and a mother to your younger brothers at 16. Is, is Do I have that right? Yes. That I, Well, I was a mother to my brothers prior to being, you know, prior to 16. But, you know, I mean, when my mother went to prison, I ran the household. You know, I, I, I dropped out of junior high school, like I said, and I ran, you know, ran that household. So I was a mother to them long before. I was. So you're, <laughs> so you're 16. You're raising three boys. I mean, what is that? You go get a job. You got to buy the groceries. You got. I mean, that, that's that's a place that a 16 year old should not be at. Well, you're absolutely right. But yes, I I, I um well what I did get myself back in school. Um, so I went to school. I worked part time at initially at Subway. Um, okay. You know, and like you say, I raised, you know, raised my brothers. The sad part about it is, is that although, you know, they were not my children, I got minimal food stamps. I, I remember, I don't remember the exact amount, but I do remember it was less than $100 a month. Mm. Um, we got, we all got Social Security because my, you know, I drew Social Security from my grandfather. And um, my brothers, they drew Social Security from their, their dad. So, okay. you know, we that was income there. And then, like I say, I worked as well as um went to school. So it was it was rough, you know, um in those I was I you know, had a, a HUD apartment so my rent wasn't that much, but I you know, I did have to pay rent and in electric. Um and I remember sometimes, you know, it was you know, I remember up crying at night not knowing how I was gonna feed, you know, my children. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I I walked a lot of a lot of um floors and, and cried a lot of tears, Lana. Not knowing how, but but some kind of way, you know, God may, always made a way. We always pulled through. Um, I was still with my son's father until my son was five. So, you know, but he wouldn't work. He was he was you know <laughs> he was not a lot of help. <laughs> he was help making it, but that was that was where it stopped, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, okay. I, I, of course, I got smart and got rid of him at some point um, in life, but um. Yeah, I, like I say, I remember it was definitely some difficult days. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yolanda, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Hang in there with me. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello again, hello again. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and today my guest is Yolanda Tucker. She is the author of uh, such books such as Blessed Beyond Belief and Lessons Learned, My Reflection. And before we went to commercial, she was telling us about, uh, you know, some of her childhood that uh, most of us can not even begin to fathom. Now, Yolanda, you had mentioned, you know, uh, 16 years old, you got custody of your um, younger brothers, and you're raising your own son there. Uh, and it was your mother who actually told uh, social services that she didn't want her kids anymore. So I'm wondering, where was she at during all this time, you know, like 16 on when you were raising all of these boys? Was she in and out? Were you guys, you know, having any interaction with her at all or, or no? Yes, she she was in and out. She was in and out of of prison jail. Um, we were yeah, we were having you know some interaction. I 
tried to have a relationship with her up until, I don't know, probably about six years ago, seven years ago for me. Um, but I always, you know, tried to keep her, you know, in the boy's life. And they, and, and she is still in their lives today. So, um, it, it, you know, it just got, at one point I sent my brother, my youngest brother, because he was just such a hellion, <laughs> for the lack of a better word. Um, so at one time I sent him back to live with her because I just couldn't, you know, he'd run away. Mm-hmm. Um, be gone for days at a time. I had no idea where he was. One time he, when they found him, he was in Ohio. Um, another time he was in our hometown in, in Waycross, Georgia. And mm-hmm. so that second time I said, you know, I am doing all that I can and I cannot allow you, you know, to continue to stress me out and, you know, put a negative influ- influence over the household because I also have two other children here that, that I'm trying to raise. So I sent him back to live with her um, three days being there, I got a phone call. I was at work, and at this point, I graduated from high school, and and um, I was working in corporate America and attending college um, part time at that time. And I got a phone call at work saying, "You need to come. You need to come right now." And I'm like, "What is wrong? You know, we we don't want to tell you over the phone. You just need to come. You need to come right now." So um, I was, you know, upset, and my coworkers were concerned. So one drove my car, and another, you know, drove me in their car to the scene. I get there my youngest brother and some of his friends had been playing some form of Russian roulette and mm. he ended up shooting one of his, you know, one of his friends and killing mm. him. Oh my goodness. So, um, he was 15 at that time. And like I say, by this time I probably was 19. Um, and so, you know, they, he, he went to prison for five years, um, from, from that incident. And that absolutely, you know, broke me up. Um, mm. But over the years, you know, we I, I've had, had contact with my birth mother, like I said, and, you know, tried to have a relationship with her. There was one time I let her come and live in my house um, because she didn't have anywhere to go. And I, at that time, was working for the railroad and happened to come home from work, and she's in the stairwell smoking crack, and I'm like, you got to go. You mm-hmm. did that me and, and my brothers, but you will not do that over my child. You have to go. And so... Um, the relationship Story over the time. years, you know, like I say, deteriorated and, you know, to, to, to the point now that we don't have a, we don't have a working relationship. I try, but, you know, sometimes you have to do what's best for you and what That's was right. best for me. Um, you know, and I, when I remember when I told one of my best friends, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And she says, the Bible says you're supposed to honor your mother and your father. And I told her the best way for me to honor her is to not to have her in my life. And so um, that was a decision that I made. And, and Lana, I sleep well each night. (laughs) There you go. You have to have your peace, your personal peace, you know, and and, uh, sometimes it's painful getting to that place of personal peace. You know, in your case, you have to detach yourself from your relationship with your mother. But, you know, personal health, personal health, you cannot beat that i mean at any stage of our life and especially somebody who has already went through so much hell as you have went through as a child you know you have to you have to get to that spot where you know hey i, I, I gotta do this for me i gotta do this right. for me so is it is it safe to assume that mom is still living that lifestyle um from what i hear it, it, it's about the same i think that you know the crack use isn't as bad as it was um but, you know, it, it's pretty much still, you know, she's living from here to there. You know, she's in a, in a apartment, a, our house now. But, um, you know, prior to that, she was living with my, my youngest brother and, and his new wife. And 
that in itself is, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to write another book about them at some point. That's some craziness. <laughs> And, you know, Yolanda, I don't think I've asked, not to cut you off there, but I don't think I've asked, where, where was dad, father during all this time? I, I don't, I've never met my father. I okay. have no idea who he is. Like I say, my, you know, my grandparents raised me, my granddaddy, that's my dad. And okay. by that point, he had passed away. So my biological father, I had not met. My brother's biological father, he was um, a lot older than my mom. And so he was... Um, at some point, you know, he was still alive, but he was sickly, and he lived in North Georgia with his family. And then um, I remember my brother was in high school when he passed away. It's just, you know, it's just, you're just sitting here thinking, you're digesting it, you know, and I haven't even covered, like, all of the stuff that was really dumped on you at a young age that you had to get through. And, you know, you're starting to hear the story, like, uh, so you can hear that you, you dropped out of school because you're saying you had to go back to school and you're in uh, corporate America. You know, you're taking care of your brothers and your son. You got to go and, and take care of your brother at 15 who has killed somebody and now he's in uh, prison during time. You're still trying to keep your relationship with your mother in some sort of shape or form. Um, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit here, but there's also some other issues that you had to go through um, younger as, you know, you, you had your own issues with uh, drugs like weed and you had to overcome STDs and stuff like that. And we haven't covered that. H- how did how did that enter your life? Um, well, we entered my life through my birth mother because when we lived in Georgia and I was, you know, like I say, I don't know, nine, ten, she would um, smoke weed while she watched. Uh, she would take the stories, you know, in the daytime when she was smoke okay. weed. So I used to get a contact. <laughs> so when I was little, I, I, I had no idea that that was what was going on. So, you know, and as I got older, you know, it was just kind of the drug of choice. Um, so it was just something that I did. Um, the STDs, you know, like I say, I was, I was promiscuous. So I was, you know, thank God I've never got anything other than gonorrhea, but, um, I was hanging out with the older, older lady and, um, she was actually, you know, she was full grown and, um, had no idea that she was having sex with a guy in the neighborhood. And so one day, um, I, at this point I had dropped out of school and, um, I got my brothers off of school that morning, but some kind of way I, I didn't lock the door, didn't close the door. I don't know, but I'm, I'm laying in the bed and I remember opening my eyes, you know, you know, you feel somebody staring at you. Yeah. I opened my eyes and this man is standing there and I wanted him. So I was happy that he was standing there. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I opened my eyes and this guy standing up, you know, over me. So, you know, one thing leads to another. We ended up having sex. Come to find out, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, uh, I'm dating another guy and I really like this guy. He's, he's a little older than I am as well, but I, you know, I really like this guy. So, my friend that I was hanging out with, she was like, something is really wrong. You know, when I pee, it's burning. You know, it's getting really bad. So she has gone to rid to the point, you know, and females, it usually doesn't. We don't have those symptoms until you've had it a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had it a long time. So we go to the clinic, and I will never forget. This is so embarrassing, but it is the truth. So I go to the clinic with her, and we've been there several hours, you know, her getting treated. And her, it was so bad for her. She had gone over so bad that they told her, she, you know, there was a possibility she could become sterile. Oh, my. Um, and so we, we, she got her medicine and all this stuff, and we're walking out of the clinic. And this, the nude guy that I like, 
he literally is walking into the clinic and he looks oh, at me like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm serious. He looks at me, he's like, Oh, you already know? I'm like, No, what? what are you talking about? <gasps> oh, wow. And so he pulls me to the side. He's like, You, I'm burning. I was like, You burning? You know, I'm young. I'm like, What are you talking about? What does that mean? And so he was like, I got down the route, but I don't know where you got it from, you know. So he was like, you got to, so I had to turn around and go sign myself in to get checked. So I remember, and this was before I had my son, so like I say, I was still, uh, I might have, yeah, I think I was 15, but I might have been 14, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I go back in and I go, you know, I'm in with the doctor and the doctor, you know, he's done the test and I do have gonorrhea. And he's telling me, you know, you have gonorrhea. And I said, how do you get gonorrhea? Do you get it from the toilet? I mean, that was really the question that I asked him. And like I say, now that I'm a grown adult, I'm, I'm a little ashamed. But I, what I realized was, especially later on in, in my life, was I was doing adult things and I didn't know the consequences. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I had no idea what the consequences were. So I'm very fortunate, very blessed, and very grateful because it could have easily been HIV, very yeah. easily. So let so. me let me ask you this, Yolanda. So after you go and you get your diagnosis and you get your medication and all that stuff, did you slow down after that, Miss Thing? No, well, I, no, I didn't necessarily slow down, but what I did do, Lana, was you know, <laughs> at that point, I was like, oh, no, this would never happen again. So, honey, I was, I was more of a tomboyish kind of girl, so I didn't carry a purse. But, honey, I had condoms in my socks. I had them in my <laughs> Look here, we went, that wasn't going to happen no more, you know. So um, I, I de- didn't necessarily slow down at that point, I, um, but I did start to have um, protective sex. Okay, good to hear. Good to hear. Okay, so, um, wow. Where do we? So, so, how do you think? How do you think your brother, the one right up under you, his direction went a little different than the younger brother? Were you doing something different in your parenting, or was it just that fifteen-year-old circumstance? No, I, I think the difference was when my my baby brother, you know, my mother had a huge influence on him. I mean, she would take him stealing with her when she would go stealing. Um, I remember, I, and I wasn't living in the household at this time. I was actually living in my, my aunt's house, but she had put me out because me and her boyfriend couldn't get along, and she told me I had to go. Um, so I was homeless there for a brief time, and then my aunt and uncle took me in. But, um she, you know, I, I remember getting a phone call and, and one of the guys who lived in, in what they call the lane and it's, you know, like two it's two rows of houses and, you know, like a street in the middle and they call it the lane. And so I got a call said, hey, you need to come home because, you know, there are drug dealers at your house, you know, with guns and all this stuff. So when I get there, um, the guy's like, I want my, I want my dope, I want my dope. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So make a long story short, come to find out the guy was running from the police. He came through, dropped the dope. My my mother saw him do that, and she sent my youngest brother out to pick up the dope and bring it back to her. Get out of here. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, Parenting and, skills 101, Yolanda, huh? Yes. <laughs> Yolanda, hold on. Hold that thought for me real quick. I'm looking at the time. I got to take a commercial break real quick and pay some bills. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am hanging out with Yolanda Tucker. She's the author of uh, 
uh, such books as Bless Beyond uh, Belief and Lessons Learned, My Reflection. Now, before the uh, commercial break, I had to cut her off, but I wanted to kind of go back to that because I was curious because, you know, there's, there's this four of them, this tight-knit unit. You know, you've got her and you've, she's raising her son and she's raising her two younger brothers and, you know, they're trying to get through this little muck of life there and she, she managed to get everybody out of it except for one and I, I was curious as to why it was the younger brother. You know, they kind of went a different direction and you were saying that, you know, your mother had a big influence on him and and that story of you know the dope dealer dropped off the drugs and she made she asked him to go get I mean just as a mother you know myself you know and sometimes I try to project who I am into other situations which you know I can't do but that just seems so bizarre to me like baby go get the drugs for me I <laughs> who does that <laughs> who does that there were, you know, there were things in, in that she did that I, as a mother, would never do. You know, um, even prior to that, and I think I was, well, I don't think I'm sure I was 12. When I first wrote, told, when she first found out that I was going to write, so I was going to release, bless beyond belief, she calls and she says, um, you, you're not going to tell. And she stopped. She's like, oh, you probably don't remember it. And I say, what? When you want to come have sex with you and my stepdad, I was 12 years old. I remember that. But, you know, very unorthodox, very unorthodox. You know, um, she was in a polygamous relationship. Like my, my, I call her my sister because she's my sister, but she's actually my stepsister. You know, that her, her mother is, was my birth mom's best friend. And, you know, my, her and my brothers have the same daddy because they all live together. And, they, and what I call is free love. That's the, the best way I can explain it. And it'll be politically correct. So, she was a very, uh, is a very unorthodox, you know, type of, of mother or parent. Um, so, you know, like you say, the things most parents wouldn't dream of asking their children, you know, to go get dope or to, to have sex with them or anything like that. But uh, unfortunately, that's, that's you know, my birth mother. That's the person that she is. And so I had to accept her for who she was. Gotcha. Understood. I mean, and, you know, like I said, everybody walks their own path and their own journey. And, you know, uh, sometimes we just have to embrace them with love and let them let them go. You know, mm-hmm. now now um, you, you you had dropped out of high school, but you got yourself back in school and you're off to college. Um, what what was the, the mindset there? What what changed your, you know, look, Yolanda, I got to do better. I got to I got to get myself back on track. What what started to make life transition for you? Well, you know, it was my foundation. My grandmother and grandfather, you know, they laid a, a very heavy, strong foundation for me. And so I had to go back to that. But um, I remember just being out on the block smoking weed and I could hear my grandmother singing because she told me every single day of my life. That education is the key. And so, you know, I, I could just, you know, literally be sitting on the apartment step smoking and hear, and I could hear those words, education is the key. And so I said to myself, you know what, Yolanda, you have got to get yourself back in school. And so I did. Um, that was not an easy uh, journey for me because, you know, you got to think here I was. I didn't have anybody, you know, to give me any direction or set any guidelines or rules for me. So, um, you know, going from being up all times at night doing whatever it was I wanted to do to, you know, getting myself in, doing homework, getting dinner, you know, and getting to bed so that I could get up and go to school the next morning. That was an adjustment. (laughs) But it was was one that I, you know, I'm especially now looking back, I'm glad that I made. Okay. But it definitely came from that, that foundation that my grandparents laid. 
Okay. So I guess it's safe to say that your grandparents are the reason why in all of that you were kind of able to say, you know, there's something better for me out here than, than this? Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, looking looking back on everything that you've you've went through, I mean, and you work with kids a lot now yourself. You do a lot of speaking and um, seminars for children. Uh, what... What would you say to a teenage mother, uh, a young girl, if she found herself pregnant or in the same circumstances as you? Well, I, I tell them all the time, you know, it, it, it's not an easy journey once you get pregnant or you have a child, but it's not impossible. You can definitely do it. It's just something that you have to set your mind to. You have to be willing to make the sacrifices, um, but you can be a good parent and a good student, you know, and still fulfill your, your dreams. Your, you can do it. I know you can because I'm living proof of it. There you go. There you go. Now, on the parenting end, though, um, do you have suggestions or guidelines for parents to kind of steer a young girl or young folks, I should say, because it goes two ways, you know, um, f- again, uh, away from this whole teenage pregnancy thing? Or do you have advice for parents? Definitely. I think, you know, and as close as my son is and I are in age, we're only 16 years apart, I'm not his friend. You know, mm-hmm. so I tell parents, you can't be your child's friend. You have to be their parent. Okay. Um, and so maybe sometimes that's a little thing. I remember my son coming home from um, elementary school. I think he might have been in kindergarten. He was like, um, wanted to call me Yolanda. No, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. I played on the table 19 hours, you know, he'll tell you, now, I already know the story, 19 hours, no pay, better, you know. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm not your friend. I am your mother, and I'm going to be your mother till they lay me in the, in the ground. So I tell people, you know, be a parent. Children want rules. They really do. They may they may not act as if they do, but they do. They want rules. They want um, guidelines and, and, you know, uh, barriers that they can and cannot do things. So I think the biggest thing for parents, you know, you you got to not be their friend and, and be, you know, be caring and, and speak to them, be open, you know, mm-hmm. and talk to them and be real with them. You know, I, I don't sugarcoat stuff when I talk to, to my child or any, you know, any other child. I, you know, I'm age appropriate, but I don't sugarcoat it. Because <laughs> life surely is not going to. So, you know, go yeah. ahead and get them ready for it. Now, you know, you did your thing. You you did a, a damn good thing uh, as a mother to all. Went about five years into the relationship, but did he stay present in your son's life? No, he did not. He did not. Um, he he literally is what you know the definition of a deadbeat dad. But my son has a relationship with him. I never, you know, I won't say never talk bad about him because you know there were some days that my son heard it. I gotta be honest. But I never, you know, turned my son against him or made my son not, you know, care for him. You know, I remember times one day he literally lived across the street from me. And when I tell you literally, I could have come out of my apartment and stood on the 40 and saw his front door. He lived with another lady and a girl he ended up marrying and her children. And I remember my son one day, and he was probably about maybe six or seven. And he he came and he was just crying. I said, what's wrong with you? He's like, I want to see my daddy. I want to see my daddy. I said, oh, put your coat on. <laughs> Shut up. So I took him to the dad's job, you know, and, and I remember walking in, you know, and I put on my, um, good afternoon, sir. I, if, you know, and I called his name. Is he here? And he says, yes. I said, it's a family emergency. Could you please, you know, um, let him know that his son is here. And, you know, we need to speak with him. 
So then a few minutes later, he comes up. I say, there go, you did. And I turn around and walk out of the building. And he's like, what are no, you doing? You can't leave him here. You can't leave him here. I say, and I, like I say, I worked for the railroad at that time. I say, you don't worry about, I have to bounce this child from one place to another. He has to wait in cars. You know, we have to do whatever it takes in order to survive. You don't care about that. So, uh, you know, that this is your issue. That's I remember right. going home, you know, and I left him. I remember going home, and my brother, my my middle brother, one right underneath me, he says, they're going to put you in jail. I say, for what? Leaving him with his biological father? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, Where they got that written in the law books, right? Okay. <laughs> so, and then there was one summer that um, I, I made him go live with his dad. And I remember I was going to be the weekend parent. And I remember his dad dropping him off one weekend. You know, I was like, I, you know, because I love my son and I wanted to be involved in his life. But he was acting out. He was taking, you know, his um, his longing for his dad out on me. And I'm like, I can't do anything. I, you know, the door is open. I've never told your dad he could not see you. You know, you couldn't have any relationship with him. I've never done that. So, you know, I took him. I, I had to find him. I called all over town until I found him and I got in contact with him and I took him and dropped all my son's stuff off because my son called his stuff going to run away. I said, you don't have to run. I would take you. <laughs> get it all. <laughs> I said, get it all. And I made him stay the entire summer. Well, he stayed almost the entire summer because they ended up going to jail for domestic violence on, on the lady that he, you know, was living with, who eventually became his wife, and now they're divorced. But, um, you know, and I made him go. And I like I said, I remember his dad dropping him off back at my house one, one weekend. And I remember him telling him, make sure you take a bath while you're here. And I said, why, why does he have to bathe while he's here? Which is not an issue, but, you know. And he said, I, we don't have any hot water. And I'm like, wait a minute, that girl just had a baby. I mean, she just had a newborn baby in that household. What do you mean you don't have any hot water? Oh, my so goodness that, you know, gracious. Why? But, right, but that, that's So my son had to see that the grass was not greener on the other side. And he go. had to experience that. And when he came back, he came back a different child. He <laughs> said, Mama, I appreciate you. I love you, Mom. <laughs> Absolutely, because, you know, over there, you got to fight for the food. You know, at my house, you were the only child, so you can go in there and get whatever it was you wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it was, and that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do as a parent. I remember uh, after I got my clothes baskets, because I was like, those are my clothes baskets, and I want them. <laughs> I dropped my stuff on the ground, lost got all those stuff and went. But I remember as I drove off, I cried. You know, I, my heart was so broken. But uh, at that point, I didn't have another alternative. Okay, okay. You know, listen to all of this, um, and, and some of it is so grimy, so painful. Has it always been easy for you to share your story with others? No, it has not. You know, as time goes on, it does get easier because now I can look back and see, you know, when I when I wrote Bless Me, I believe that was really the 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 light bulb for me to actually look back and see just how God has blessed me. Um, so as you know, and I wasn't going to publish Bless, Bless Beyond Belief initially. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent it for a the Florida Writers Association um, Literary Award contest. And when I got the results back, I won the Literary Award. And when I got the results back, the first um, judge's response I opened said, this story must be told. It's going to help people. And so that's when I decided to focus. And so, you know, it's gotten easier over the years of talking about it, you know, and talking about being um, a survivor. Okay. Okay. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about your books and some other things you got on the table.
Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and today I have been hanging out with Yolanda Tucker. She's the author of such books as Bless Beyond Belief and uh, Lessons Learned, My Reflection. Now, the uh, book, Bless Beyond Belief, Yolanda, um, what made you sit down and actually start writing that? Oh my, I was in love with a man. And <laughs> she was in love with a man. <laughs> I was in love with a man, girl. And he told me he was going to marry another woman. And I, and my heart was broke. When I tell you, I ain't never, my heart ain't never felt like that. And it took a long time for me to get over him. But, um, in, in all of that, I said, I have just been through so much pain in my life. And so I remember coming in in my house. I had just built my house, and I remember coming in, just falling down on my knees and just crying, you know, not running out my nose. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, how am I going to survive this? And as I was on that slow praying, God, you know, put blessed beyond belief in, in my spirit. And I said, bless beyond belief, who? Not me. <laughs> and, and, but I, it wouldn't go away. You know, okay. I tried and it wouldn't go away. So, you know, there were nights that I would get up two or three o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. And I, I started writing. And so as I started writing that book, like I could say, I started to see just how he had laid my life out. And although I had gone through so much hell to get where I was, I was blessed beyond belief. You know, it could have been a lot different had my grandparents not adopted me and raised me, you know, to that point and gave, given me that foundation. And, you know, had I not been a victim of domestic violence or, you know, a molestation and abuse, I, it, my life could have been, you know, it probably, <laughs> hopefully it would have been um, a lot less painful, but who knows? I mean, I may not even be here to have this conversation with you. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I saw just how blessed I was. And so I, I went on and wrote the book. <laughs> okay. now, how long has it been out now? Uh, Bless Beyond Belief came out in 2004, so it's been out about 12 years. Okay. Now, I'm assuming, you know, because this is your testimony and, and like, just the little pieces that we've heard today, um, I'm assuming that there's some players in the book that might not have been too happy that Yolanda wanted to open her mouth and speak? Oh, yeah. You know, my birth mother, like I say, she was not happy um, when she read the book, um, my stepdad had passed by the point that the book was published, but, you know, I went to some, I have stepbrothers and sisters that are older than I am, you know, and so mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of soften the blow, even with my brothers, because um, I don't, I don't think they knew everything, you know, okay. they didn't know, you know, so much as that I was molested by their dad. So again, I wanted to soften the blow. So before the book came out, you know, I had conversations with them. I gave them three advanced copies of the, of the book and, you know, let them have a chance to ask me whatever questions they wanted to ask me. Okay. Okay. Now this other book, Lessons Learned, My Reflection, um, what, what, what's that one about? Lessons Learned, My Reflection is, is just kind of a little bit like Patty's Pearls and it's just some, um, sayings. I know like when I was little, my grandmother used to tell me one monkey don't stop the show. Yeah. And I idea what a monkey had to do with anything. <laughs> so again, you know, I'm six, seven, six, seven years old. And she's like, one monkey don't stop no show. I'm like, I don't know what that means. So as I got a little older and I understood some of those things, um, you know, just put together a little book of, of life curls, you know, lessons that people um, could take and hopefully, you know, just brighten their day, brighten their world. Okay. Okay. Now, how do people pick up copies of the books? 
Um, you know what? And I, I'm sad to say this. Neither one of those are in um, are in print right now. I'm in the process of trying to get them back. But I do have two other books that are out there. They're on Amazon.com. Um, yeah, one of them. One of them. I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, I, I'm some. I'm flashing back here, having a brain fart for a moment because I'm syndicated, and I don't know if I can say the title to one of no, you. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say it. I, I, look, I know. I know. So, um, <laughs> One, all I ever wanted to do was love you. That title you can say. The other one is called, we're going to say Pink P. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait a minute. I think I know seven words I can say on the radio, and it's, it's going blank right now whether or not I can say it or not. But let me just be safe. <laughs> no, no. I, and like I say, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I've been around enough, long enough, longer to know. So I would, I would never do that. But, um, that it's an adult title, but that it's a woman empowerment book. That book is about, women making better choices when it comes to relationships, um, you know, improving our self-esteem as women and, you know, becoming the women that we want to be no matter, despite our circumstances. And so one of those, uh, all of those characters are real characters in my life, but I, you know, they're fictional characters. I made them <laughs> into fictional characters to protect the guilty, of course. But, um, you know, some of these stories are stories that my girlfriends actually, I and them have lived and um, I'm like, we as women have, need to start having conversations about sex and who we're having sex with. And that, in turn, you know, helps protect our children. Um, you know, just here in Jacksonville, a week, uh, well, a month or so ago, we had um, a three-year-old that was beat and molested by his mother's girlfriend. Mm. So those are those those type things. And, you know, then there are children that are missing. And I've, you know, gotten out of my bed on more than one occasion and gone, you know, to look for these children um, that are missing because, you know, a boyfriend has done this, that, or the third to them. So, like I say, we just as women have to make better choices when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sex and who we're having it with. You know, and you hear that so often in the news today, you know, it's just a repetitive and it just seems more frequent of the stories that you had to go through as a young child. But it seems to have uh, manif- manifested itself in such large numbers these days, um, you know, young kids being molested by boyfriends that are bought in the house or whatever. And I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with you. That's the reason why I did not date at all when my girl was a teenager, because I was just scared of bringing a man in the house. But, um, you know. How do you, I mean, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, do you, can we, can we curb this? You know, women don't, you know, because you can't tell women I don't date at all. I mean, where's the happy medium? No, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. I, I like you, and I have a boy. I didn't date, you know, during 15 years either. <laughs> um, and that's because it, it's, it, it, there's no sacredy of, of sex these days. They don't, it doesn't matter anymore whether it's a girl or a boy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think that, like I say, but a lot of it is, you know, as women, we're taught, as little girls, we're taught not to talk about sex and not to have these conversations. And I think that's a disservice to us because sex is something that affects our everyday life. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the ways to make sure that, you know, some of this is being combated is that we start having these conversations in our communities, you know, having these conversations in our homes. Um, with our children, we need to have these conversations. Like I say, they need to be age appropriate. But I have a little niece that's um, 15 months old. As soon as she's old enough to talk, because her mom was molested as well, you know, she's mm-hmm. going to get, you know, understand what good touch and bad touch is. You know, those things have to happen. 
And as they grow older, we have to have these conversations. And as women, we have to have these conversations because you may think, you know, this guy is, uh, you know, rosy because you're looking through these rose-colored glasses. But if you have, have, you know, have real conversations with some of your best girlfriends and they love you, they're going to tell you, girl, you're you you you're not seeing the real thing. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that does not happen because, you know, we want to be private and secret and you know, do this and do that. And like I say, we just need to start having conversations. That doesn't mean that someone else runs your life, but it, it does mean that maybe you're getting some information that you're not actually um, taking in. You're not looking at, you're not processing. Okay. Now, you know, you're talking about us having these conversations and I, that's one thing that you do uh, a lot. You have, um, your platform is public speaking. So you, you speak to a variety of different types of groups. What What types of people do you speak to? Um, I speak to usually junior high to high school students. Um, you know, domestic violence is huge, um, especially in, in the high school realm. Um, okay. We're trying to prevent that some by talking to the children um, a little earlier, so in middle school. Um, and then I do a lot of women, you know, women events um, from 18 to, you know, I've, I've had women at 60 come tell me, you know, things that, um, you know, one lady came and shared with me that she was molested by her father and she never told anybody that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and she happened to be at a teenage event. I was at a, a high school and she happened to be at a high school event, but came and, and shared that with me. So um, women from, like I say, the ages of 18 to to death, I guess. <laughs> you just said domestic, you talk about domestic violence in high school, domestic violence in high school. That That is a real prevalent thing question mark question mark yes 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 it is um i I don't have the stat right in front of me but the stat is pretty high when it comes to domestic violence and among high school students and i know i was in high school when i was you know a victim of domestic violence Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i can relate like i say my son's father is nine years older than i am so um, you know, I was in high school. He was, you know, an adult, and you know, there was some, there was definitely some domestic violence. Now, let mm-hmm. me say this: it wasn't just him. He didn't always. I usually started the fight. He okay. usually did. <laughs> <You> <laughs> okay. <know? laughs> okay. Okay. But now, 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 Yolanda knows how to have healthier relationships, though, right? She's not starting fights anymore. No, no. As a matter of fact, if 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 we got a fight, then Yolanda's not going to even be involved. Okay. No, um, <laughs> Yolanda's forty-one years old. I'm too old with a bad back. I'm not going to. I'm not going to no, ma'am. But no, at this point, you know, like I say, I, I definitely know what a healthy relationship is, and I'm unfortunately single. Um, but hopefully, at some point, the one that's supposed to be with me will come along. I'm waiting, God. There you go. Take your time and wait on it. That's the take your time and wait on it. <laughs> so before we get out of here, uh, Yolanda, tell us uh, real quick, how do people get in contact with you if they want to book you for a speaking gig or, you know, uh, mentor some kids or anything like that? Uh, they can reach me on uh, book, B-O-O-K, Yolanda at gmail.com is my email address. Um, my website is YolandaMTucker.com. And, um, you know, my books are available on Amazon.com. Just put in, put in Yolanda Tucker. Awesome, awesome. I have enjoyed your company today, Yolanda. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me, Yolanda. I have had a ball. 
Awesome. My guest today has been Yolanda Tucker. Once, like she said, please visit her website, YolandaMTucker.com. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.